What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Pokey Science. As usual, you have cameraman Chris right here and fisherman Don joining us. Don, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. It's been a little bit of a busy start to 2022, but uh, we're, we're chugging along, you know? Yeah, um, slowly getting getting through it. <laughs> slowly getting through the first three weeks of the year. Yep. But, Don, we're like what? We're recording on Wednesday the 19th, so we're about nine days away until Arceus? I believe so. Have you been looking at the leaks? Um, I have a little bit. I'm trying to keep a clean playthrough, a, a clean mindset, because Eternatus got spoiled for me, and I might, would have much rather seen it for real person, uh, for real in the initial playthrough, so I'm, I'm trying to keep it low-key. But we have a pretty uh, cool episode for everyone today where we have one of our uh, longtime uh, listeners and someone who's actually participated a lot in the uh, a lot of the Pokecasters network, but she's here joining us to... Oh, well, not joining us because uh, Madison did the interview. But she joined Madison to talk about service animals and the, sort of the history of them and, and how they are used. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and how uh, they could be used in the Pokemon world. So pretty, pretty interesting topic, pretty good interview. So, Don, let's uh, jump into the news so we can get to that interview. Sounds good. All right, so in science news, I found this pretty interesting story where it appears that some scientists at a zoo in the UK, the Hammerton Zoo, has some sort of vacuum DNA device, DNA detection device. Basically, from my understanding of what is happening, is they use this to sort of suck up the air around, and it's able to discern all the DNA, or not all the DNA, but a bunch of the DNA that is in the area. So obviously, this is still a very controlled setting because they did it within a zoo where they're able to catalog. They already have a catalog of all the animals there and, and, and all that. So that's how they're able to sort of verify that, you know, it's working. So like, you know, they do it around the tigers and they come back and they, you know, they run this system and they come back and they see they have all the tigers and that was working. But what was really cool is they were actually able to see things like, the fish that were used to feed the animals were showing up on the readings. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and they were finding things from, like, all corners of the zoo, in addition to wild animals that just were in the area. And they, they said that they actually detected an endangered hedgehog, a European hedgehog, as well as a couple other, like, mice and dogs. Oh, cool. But, like, the implications of this, as I'm sure you can kind of gather, are pretty cool because you'd be able to get a pretty, you know, applied, you know, extrapolated and applied in the real world. You can get a really clear biodiversity picture, you know, just by running this system, you know, give you a, a good glimpse into, you know, what's in the area, how things are working together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Also, for you, it'd be great for figuring out where to fish. Yes, yes, very much so. Where all the fishies are. That was my science bit. So in uh, we talked any... about the new Pokemon news or the new rule set last time, right? Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. But in Pokemon news, the um, did you see the the Bear Walker skateboard release? I saw stuff about it. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. So Bearwalker uh, has done a couple of these skateboards, uh, Pokemon skateboard crossovers uh, the past couple years. Um, but they just released a new one uh, for the Eeveelutions. And so even though Umbreon already had one, it's all of them again. And uh, compared to the previous skateboards, I think the designs are like, it's okay. Like, they're fine. Uh, I don't know if you have any particular thoughts on them, Don. I, I, I like the designs well enough. They seem pretty straightforward, but I do like them. They're pretty clean. I think it was Lucas tweeted something about, imagine someone rolling up on a on an EV skateboard listening to Ska to steal your girl. Dude, it'll happen. <laughs> it's bound to happen now. It's out in the world. Uh, but that was a pretty a pretty cool release. And then in Pokemon Go, they just put in, uh, what's that What's that little normal electric lizard thingy? Helioptile? He- yeah, Helioptile. I, I love that guy. Yeah, well, Helioptile's in Pokemon Go now because they're still running that event and we're now in the Power Plant event. Uh, and then obviously, I think by well, the next time we record, we should have Arceus. Arceus, Arceus. We should have that uh, in our hands the next time we record. So hopefully we've got a couple pretty interesting talking points or uh, episodes ahead for people. But I guess on that uh, on that note, Don, we can just jump into the interview. Yeah, let's get right to it. Hey everyone, it's Professor Madison. Hopefully you guys are good. Um, I am joined today with uh, Kate Keller. You are, I think you're the only fan of the show that I've actually met. So Kate, we're here talking about service animals. And can you please introduce yourself and explain why you're here talking to us about service animals? Well, I'm here talking about service animals because I have a service animal. Um, his name is Clark, and he's a German Shepherd. Um, and currently, I'm a university student, and I'm studying animal sciences. So this is part of you, what you're studying, too, right? Yeah. Because when we've talked before, right, like the goal is uh, you're pre-vet? Yes, I am. Okay. And the, the, the a lot of the focus for you has been on service animals, if I'm not mistaken. It has been, yes. So you know more than anyone else I know, and I'm really excited. How, how long have people used service animals? Because, like, I've read different things. I read, like, you know, ancient Rome or, like, China. Like, they've been around a long time. Yeah, they've been around a really long time. Um, there isn't a specific date or anything, um, but there has been a lot of records throughout history, um, ancient Roman times, Europe, China, um, just lots of times throughout history, there's been depictions of men using dogs to help them. And so I I was reading a little bit beforehand because I always try to prepare for this. Um, I try. Like, there's depictions of them leading, like, blind people in, in paintings and stuff, like, like hundreds and thousands you know years ago right so what's like the history like especially like in modern era what's the history of like the service animals so in modern areas in modern times um the the guide dog movement started in world war one um a lot of soldiers had injuries like um shrapnel injuries and stuff where they were going blind and they needed to find something to help them. And so a doctor 
a German doctor, started researching dog training and techniques, and he basically started training guide dogs for um, veterans. And then in August 1916 in Germany, that German doctor um, opened the first guide dog school. And then in America, a dog trainer named Dorothy Eustace heard about what was going on in Germany, and she wrote a newspaper article about it. And then a man named Morris Frank um, read her article, um, and he was blind, and he had been looking for something to help him. And so he wrote to Dorothy and asked for her help. And so Dorothy trained a German Shepherd dog named Buddy, and Buddy is the first official guide dog in America. Um, and then later on in 1965, um, the two of them opened the organization called the Seeing Eye, which was the first dog training school in America, and that's actually still active today. So I just want to two comments here for our listeners because I mean social science is my jam. Something to really note for those of you who don't know is that World War One era Germany, um, very very scientific. A lot of like like there's entire air fields of research that get wiped out um, as the Third Reich comes through. Uh, specifically, like I know for my community, there's a lot of like gender uh, research that you know for our community, the LGBT community, that all this research had been conducted and compiled and gets wiped out. And I I, I feel like so often as Americans we tended when we think of Germany during, you know, the early 1900s, we just think of war or, you know, Nazi, but we forget that there was a lot of scientific contribution coming out of Germany during this time period. And I think the other thing to note is that a lot of people don't actually know that the Americans with Disabilities Act, like, doesn't come through till the 90s. Most people are just like, oh yeah, there's always been protections, but there hasn't. There was no wheelchair ramps, no accessibility, nothing no federal regulations for it yeah there was there was nothing for us until 1990 um some states had regulations but there was nothing on the federal level which is also kind of weird because like for education i know that idea um, the individuals disability and education act was around way before that so it's interesting to see that the Department of Ed was more proactive than the federal government. You know, something important that I think our listeners should note is that these protections for individuals with disabilities in America are really a modern thing. I mean, they happened within my lifetime. So what kind of animals are used as service animals? Um, so as service animals specifically, um, the ADA states that only dogs and miniature horses can be used. So you heard that little Sebastian is a service animal. <laughs> That's the only miniature horse I know. <laughs> what roles do service dogs like help fill in people's lives? Like what species can be service animals? The point of service dogs is that they help to mitigate um, a person's disability. Um, and so the role of a service dog, it really depends on the individual handler of the service dog. Generally, the service dog is trained to perform tasks that um, help the handler do um, general life things that 
they wouldn't be able to do otherwise without the dog's help. Okay. So like, is there any examples of like what that might look like? It can be anywhere from like a medical alert dog alerting the handler to an oncoming medical episode or like a blood sugar drop or a mobility service dog helping their handler um, just get around. There are psychiatric service animals who um, help their handler when their handler has a panic attack or a meltdown, um, really anything like that. Okay, so kind of all over the board. What other yeah. like uh, roles can other service like or working animals serve? Like, cause they they do a lot. Yeah. Um. So other types of working animals um, are the general military and police dogs. Um, there's also search and rescue dogs. Um, any type of detection dogs, like drug dogs, bomb dogs. Um, there's even cadaver dogs, which can find dead bodies. Honestly, it makes me disappointed to think that there are narc dogs. <laughs> there are narc dogs. <laughs> yeah. I, that's one of my favorite. Uh, I think it's one of those, like, I don't remember if it's from Reddit or Twitter, but it shows up on Facebook every now and then about that dog that tried to be a drug detection dog and then, like, just wouldn't do it. <laughs> so then it like went into like I think it went into um I think it became a service dog. Um oh, like and so the joke is always like, yeah, the dog didn't want to be a narc. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Um so so what's the difference between service animals and an emotion support an emotional support animal? Service animals are defined in the ADA as dogs or miniature horses that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. And that is the, the actual definition. And so an example of a task would be like we just talked about, like alerts or um, guiding a blind person, things like that. The other difference with service animals is that they have public access rights. So they're allowed to just go out into the general public with their handler. The only places that they're not allowed to go is anywhere sterile. So like a surgery room, um, a place of worship, or this gets kind of weird, but anywhere where having a dog would not be a reasonable accommodation. And an example of that would be something like a petting zoo, where the dog and the petting zoo animals might have contact with each other because that could get dangerous. And I remember you and I had to have this conversation because, again, you're the only fan I know. <laughs> um, we've hung out a bunch. And yeah. You came with us to, to uh, the Columbus Zoo with me and the girls. And I I, yeah. kept, I kept being worried. I was like, well, are you allowed to bring the dog in? <laughs> yeah. And you were like, well, yeah, as long as we're not going into the petting zoo, I think I'm good. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we don't go in there anyways. <laughs> yeah. It's dirty. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. The, the goats just poop everywhere. Like, I don't need to be in there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. And then emotional support animals um, are allowed to be any species of animals. Um, their purpose is to just provide comfort and support to their owner. And an important note here is providing comfort and just 
being with a person is not considered a task. ESAs also don't have any public access rights, so they're not allowed to go out anywhere with their handlers, so out to stores, you know, out out to the mall. So there's not really any like control over it or any stipulations of how it needs to look. Yes, there is very little regulations on ESAs. Which is different though than a emotion which is different than a service dog that focuses in like psychological needs like anxiety. Yes. Um a psychiatric service dog and an ESA are two very different things. What can we do to better assist both service animals as well as the people who need them in our day-to-day lives? I'd say the most important thing is to just not distract the service dogs um, and just really just ignore the service dog teams. Um, If you have children in your lives, um, I always really love hearing parents um, educate their children on service animals and what their job is and why we're not allowed to pet the the working dogs. Um, if if you have questions for a service a service dog team, it's okay to ask them as long as they're respectful questions and they're not specific to the handler's disability. Just as long as you're not being rude, it's you know just be a nice person. Okay, so we I really want to move on. Um, Let's talk about Pokemon and the roles that um, Pokemon might have as service animals. Can you give me examples of the kind of roles Pokemon might do better than their real world counterparts? Like I was really thinking about this, that there might be some things that they could do even better. Some types of Pokemon might be better at like medical alerts than dogs. Um, because some Pokemon have like psychic powers and abilities. Even though dogs are really well trained and just really cool animals, not every individual dog is able to have an alert. Um, not every individual dog can sense an oncoming medical episode, and even the ones that can can sometimes give false alerts when you know they get distracted or. Maybe the handler just uses a new lotion or something. So just dogs aren't foolproof. But if a Pokemon has like a psychic power or ability, they could essentially have a foolproof alert and you know 100% of the time. So that would be pretty cool. Another one I was thinking about is Pokemon with arms. Um, Okay. Would be better at um, like mobility type work. Oh, because they could essentially use their arms as extensions of their handler's arms. So instead of having to train a dog to figure out how to use maybe their paws or their teeth or something and try to figure out how to maneuver around the world that isn't made for teeth and paws, um, the Pokemon could just use their arms like we use our arms. And it would be much easier to train a mobility task. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about like Pokemon, like, like Tangrowth would probably be a really decent service animal. Yeah. 
Well, like it's strong, right? So it has big arms. It can carry stuff. But like also like those vines. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about that when we were discussing this topic before. I was like, yeah, you know, tank growth actually would be kind of cool to watch. Especially, you know, like for for individuals who, you know, maybe aren't have mobility difficulties. Yeah. Like having a Pokemon who's like, oh, that's 12 feet away. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Could be kind of useful. <laughs> That would be very useful. Yeah, like I really, like even maybe like some of the primate Pokemon could fill similar roles to that too. Like there's yeah, no reason absolutely. your Monferno can't climb up and get your stuff out of the cabinet quickly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a monkey, right? Like, or, yeah, just like, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's a sound Monferno makes, but I don't know. How would training a service Pokemon be different than training a normal Pokemon? It would have to be pretty specific to the type of Pokemon, um, its abilities, the moves it has. Um, even though when you're training dogs, um, you have to train the individual dog in front of you. Really, at the end of the day, dogs are dogs and they don't differ that much from each other. Pokemon are pretty different from each other. I also feel like Pokemon understand human language a little bit. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Let's talk about this. Which Pokemon would make the best all-around uh, best service animals and what would make the worst? The best all-around service animal, in my opinion, would probably be Lucario. Really? In my opinion. It's, you know, it's strong. It could be a really good mobility service Pokemon. Um, it can also sense auras and it's also been known to recognize human speech. Okay. Are there any other like Pokemon that you think would be good? Really any um psychic Pokemon could be a good psychiatric um service Pokemon or a medical alert Pokemon has been known to rescue people stranded by blizzards. So that would be a pretty cool search and rescue Pokemon. So like, what would be the worst? I, in my opinion, I think the worst would be Magikarp. <gasps> Don't tell Lucas that. I know. I was thinking that I might get a little bit of hate for that. <laughs> <laughs> so why would it be so bad? Well, reading out of the sword Pokedex entry, um, it is virtually worthless in terms of both power and speed. It is the most weak and pathetic Pokemon in the world. So it, it's also a fish. It would be very inconvenient to just carry around a bowl of water with a fish in it to, to help you. And, and, and it can't really do anything to help you either. So in my opinion, it would not be a very useful service Pokemon. Yeah, I was trying to think, like I said, my thoughts went to like Tangrowth right away. But I, I genuinely agree with you. Like psychic types would be super useful too. Um, but maybe like, you know, also things like Chansey. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, especially with those who have like specific medical needs, having, you know, a healing Pokemon might be kind of useful. So I think there's a lot more use there. <laughs> yeah. It's also hard to specify what that's going to look like because it's a, you know, different world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess my only 
my only thing I need to say now is I need to say thank you to you. Um, and that your, your service, uh, dog Clark is the best. My, my daughter still asked to see Clark. So, uh, thank you, Kate Keller, uh, once again for coming on and, uh, we appreciate the discussion. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode. That was a great interview, Madison and Kate. Thank you so much. I hope you all learned a little bit more uh, about service animals and, and, you know, what they provide to people in our society. And, and uh, on that, thank you all so much for listening, continuing to listen. As always, if you want to help uh, support the show, leave a review in your podcasting app of choice. It kind of, it helps people find the show. It helps spread the word about the show. So we really appreciate all the reviews that we've had to date. Uh, we're pretty close to 300 reviews, Don, at least in, in Apple uh, podcasts. That is exciting. I didn't realize we had that many. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're in the like high 260s. So we still got a little bit to go, but if people keep leaving reviews, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, all right, everybody. Well, thank you all again so much. We will catch you on the next episode.